you ever wonder how some of the greatest people today become who they are? Most everyone has experienced that turning point in their life. It's these moments that forever changed who they were into whom they become. Today on The Moment with Chris Epting, you'll hear from these people and hopefully be inspired to find your own life-changing moment. Now, here is your host, Chris Epting. Hey there, and welcome for uh, welcome to the moment. Thank you for listening. Um, I'm Chris Epting, and I have a really special guest today. It's always for me. It's fun uh, when I have somebody on that I've worked with before, when I've collaborated with them, um, typically on their memoir, and that's the case today. Her name is Donna Spear, and we met a number of years ago. Donna had a really compelling story. We sat down and wrote it. Uh, she wrote a terrific book, but she has since gone on to write other things. And we're going to catch up on her book and what she's up to today and, and all sorts of things because she's always got a million things to talk about. Donna, are you there? I am, Chris. Hi, it's so good to talk to you. You too. How are you doing? I am I am well, Chris. How are you? I'm good. You know, I was thinking, um, to, you know, it's funny today, if people are listening to this live, um, it's an important day for you because you're relaunching your whole branding site and all the things you're up to. But, um, and we'll get to that in a few minutes, but it really started, I mean, at least, look, you've done a lot of things in your life. You've been in lots of movies and you've modeled and all sorts of things. But for me, it really comes back to when you and I first started talking a few years ago, when you reached out to me and... Um, wanted to talk about putting your story down. And it was intriguing because there were a lot of uh, interesting aspects to it, a lot of things you had been through uh, as a young person, as a teenager, and then somebody as a young adult who had a lot of different addictions and most importantly, a recovery story that that made your story very triumphant. But getting there involved you unpacking a lot of things that um, you would never really unpack before. Was that kind of a moment for you back when we met and you finally decided you were going to open up about certain things that you had kept quiet for a long time or, or at least your whole life? You know, Chris, I don't think I ever could have written my memoir without you. You were so instrumental in um, helping me piece my story together, first of all. And yes, there were a lot of things in that book that... I had never really unpacked. Honestly, I remember I put up a sign in my, in my office and it said, what would you do if you weren't afraid? And, and that's how every day I was able to type out those secrets that I held within. Remember the days that we sat and you, you audio taped me um, and you asked me question after question after question and help me to divulge some of those things that we didn't even think would come out in the book that you didn't even know about. And there were a lot of moments that were very hard and very vulnerable and, and very scary for me, to be honest. The book is called Naked Truth, The Fall and Rise of Donna Spear, and it came out a couple of years ago. And yeah, we sat for, for, for many hours and, and went through things. And, you know, there were a lot of things that, that I think were important for you to deal with. Uh, obviously, getting through the addictions and things like that. There were certain relationships and, and abuses that went on early in your life that understandably you hadn't really wanted to confront. Talk about what it takes to actually sit down and put those out in print. Because it's one thing to talk to somebody who's recording you about it. It's another thing when you hit publish and this comes out and now the whole world 
is going to be aware of what you've been through. I remember you were um, you were very apprehensive up front, but um, and, and nervous. What, what what do you remember of that moment when it finally came out? Um, you know, certain stories about your life that you hadn't shared before. Wow. Um, well. <laughs> which part Chris which one are you talking about well all I mean look <laughs> you, you, you tell me you tell me the ones that were the most profound when they came out that you well were. you know first of all you know I went through a lot of physical abuse I went through sexual abuse there was and there was a lot of um, my innermost drug secrets you know I was I was a, ra- a raging drug addict alcoholic at an early age and I didn't you know unless you were on my inner circle you didn't know how bad it was and well okay so let me backpedal just a little bit had my parents not passed away I would not have included a lot of the stories that I put into my book okay one of the things that I don't know um that you and I even talked about including that I wasn't even going to include in the book was that I was a Bill Cosby victim. That is first and foremost. Um, Secondly, I probably would not have included some of the physical abuse that I endured as a child at my father's hands. That was a big one um, that some of my family didn't even know about. Um, uh, The other thing was that I had never really gone public about being sexually abused by a girlfriend of mine's father that a lot of people within the circle that I grew up in knew, but didn't know about. Because I have, I to, I have to tell you that, that, that for me, as, as impactful as the other two that you mentioned were your dad and Bill Cosby, you know, and thinking about it, Donna, that for me was really struck me as the most pivotal, this, this, the father of your girlfriend, because we talk about these things were happening. was like back in the late 1970s and mm-hmm. the term grooming wasn't, um, it hadn't really been applied yet to that kind of behavior where an adult would begin uh, psychologically manipulating a young person, you know, to, to have them behave they want, the way they wanted to behave. And you obviously were experiencing that at an early age and there was nowhere to go. I mean, you couldn't, there weren't counselors or programs or things you could turn to. You had to internalize that, right? I mean, when this guy first begins, he's a, for, for those that haven't read the book, um, he's a, I guess, a retired uh, fire department chief. Captain, sort of local yeah, he was captain. Captain, who he had become. Was, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead, Chris. Please. No, and, and then he had taken up photography as a hobby, and and doing modeling with with young girls and headshots and, and, and that sort of thing. And he kind of lures you into that, and it, it becomes fairly obvious that the that was the photography was sort of a means to an end of, of doing what he ended up doing. But when he put you in this position, you really had nowhere to go to talk about it, right? There was no, there were no outlets back then um, that were, that were really available, readily available through school or home or anything like that. So you had to carry this around, um, inside, right? Right. There, there was nowhere to go there. You know, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have, you know, things on television that talked about, you know, molestation or things like that. And back then we always thought like someone who did something like that to somebody was like, you know, a dark figure in black and hiding behind bushes or, 
they come in a car and scoop you up and tear away, you know, down the street and kidnap you or things like that. But in reality, this kind of thing, um, sexual abuse to children happens um, more times or not by a neighbor, by a family member, by somebody that the child knows and it has to be by someone the child knows because they have to get into your inner circle they have to get in to know the parents and be trusted in order to be left alone with the child that is like usually i believe it's like 85 to 90 percent of the time and so um that is part of the grooming process. I mean, there are the child abductions. There are the snatchers. There are the things like that. Right, but that's different. That's a, that's a different sort of crime, I think. That's um, right. more physical and less psychological. These people are sort of in it for the long haul, right? And right. Looking- so, so the people that are, are sexually abused, they're abused by the uncle, by the next-door neighbor, right. by the, by the, um, the church the church uh, pastor or whatever he is by the Cub Scout or Girl Scout leader. They are someone that are trusted within the community, within your family, and that are that have access to your child. That's what people don't understand about sexual abuse on children. They forget well, that. And so back then, no one understood that. Well, he's and I had nowhere to go because he was trusted by my parents. Well, that's that's the other thing, too, is he got your parents involved in this idea that he would be um, good for your career. Now, for those, again, that don't know your kind of the backstory on you, you were the, the youngest child, right? Right, of six. And of my parents six. were older when they had me, you know, and I didn't even want to be a model. That I was not modeling at the time. I was young. I was 15. I, I was lanky. I mean, I was tall and blonde, but I was kind of lanky. I was awkward. You know, I was working in a floor shop. I rode my bicycle. I was, you know, I just went to the beach with my girlfriends. I, you know, I had a part-time job. I was good in school. Um, you know, I, I, I kind of had a boyfriend. I was somewhat shy, kind of outgoing, but, you know, I was insecure. Um, right. But I think he probably picked up on the fact that your parents being older and that you were the last of six kids, that they were would have had no problem with somebody kind of stepping in and taking over the reins a little bit and helping you do something. It was there, you know, again, it was less they had to do. Right. And it was right. I had no that. outside hobbies. I didn't go to sports. I didn't belong to any clubs or anything like that. I wasn't invested or involved. And that was a big red flag. And he picked up on this, obviously, which allowed him to sort of manipulate you for a while and um, and abuse you. And it's it's horrific. I mean, it really is horrific. The the real cruel twist of fate is that as, as soon as you extricate yourself from this, you do manage to get away. Someone steps in a, a, a true modeling agent who sees that you have ability and wants to really put you on a path. You have a headshot that you know, a, a friend of a friend shows to Bill Cosby and all of a sudden, you know, not long after this abuse has taken place, you're contacted by Bill Cosby, who kind of picks up on a different on a different level, but the same basic idea of I got to win the family over to make this happen, right? Absolutely. It's exactly the same thing. And at this point, once a child has been sexually abused, it's almost like we have a stamp on our head. We... I, I'm going to speak for myself. 
I am now holding myself differently. I feel because you got to remember, I can't talk about this. As a child, I feel like this is my fault. Because it's not the adult's fault. I must have brought this on myself. There's something wrong with me. I am now damaged goods. And remember, I tried to break away from this man and the man stopped me. I mean, literally, when I wasn't showing up to this man's house and I didn't want to go and my parents weren't home, this man would come over to my home and knock on my door to find me and yeah, and like yell at me, why aren't you at my house? We have a modeling appointment. Your parents paid for this. And he would literally scoop me up at my parents' house and put me in the car and drag me to his house and stalk me, literally stalk me at my parents' house. I mean, that's how horrifying this, this man's behavior got with me. And so when I finally broke away from him, um, I am just like damaged. I am damaged and I'm broken. And, and so now I'm like this model who doesn't want to be a model. I'm, 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 I'm on drugs to, to compress the pain I'm in, to push it down. And, and I'm drinking and, and I'm barely 16. I don't even have my driver's license yet. And I have this headshot and I give it to a girlfriend of mine who goes to Vegas and all this stuff, a girlfriend neighbor. And she gives it to Bill Cosby because she plays, she plays tennis with him there. Right. And, and he he's says, interested and he contacts you. Right. And next thing you know, um, I'm flying to Pittsburgh to do a television show for children with Bill. And, and it's like, I have a stamp on my head of shame and guilt. But a couple of things here. To make that happen, to get you to Pittsburgh, he, um, like the photographer, had to go to your parents, had to mm -hmm. sell sell a certain version of what was going to be happening, that this mm -hmm. was going to be ultimately good for you. Right. That he basically had your best interest at heart and would be right. looking after you. And, yep. you know, I think people might look at your parents and say, well, how can you let that happen? But I, I think the context of the, of the era does matter. And in the mid late, late, late 1970s, Bill Cosby in particular was um, very popular uh, at that point. It was pre-Cosby show. It was more the Coca-Cola commercials and other commercials that made him, um, quote, America's dad. And so it he wasn't too big a leap for them to say, well, this is great. It's great for her career. We don't have to get involved with this. You know, we're older. And so, hey, it's Bill Cosby. What could possibly go wrong, right? Also, he was a friend of our neighbor's daughter. Right. And they trusted him. Why wouldn't, I mean, he was 42 years old. I was 16. Come on. He was like my father. He was older. He had kids. You know, it was, it was all of a sudden the doors were opening. you got to remember. So I walked from that photographer's situation. I walked into an agency and that day I landed a national commercial that day. Boom. Well, Donna must have what it takes. And he saw a picture and boom, she must have what it takes. And I'm like, uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm besides myself. Right. And the other thing, we're going to have a commercial in a minute or two here, which we'll get back to this. But I think the other thing to keep in mind is, and you, you referenced it earlier, is you begin self-medicating almost out of the shame and pain of not being able to deal with this or go to anybody with it. So the, the drugs and alcohol become just a way of numbing the reality, right? It wasn't almost out of the, the pain. It was out right. of the 
right. was, and I was, I was young and I was, I was fearful and I was suicidal and I was, I was damaged and I was, I was dying on the inside from 14 and 15 years old. I was dying already. After you go to Pittsburgh, which we'll get to in a minute, um, thus begins this several year experience that um, that involves lots of jet setting and vacationing and gift giving and family oh, gr- grooming and grooming. Yeah, grooming. I mean, which is all grooming. part of the really the whole foundation of it is the family grooming, bringing the parents along, treating your family to elaborate, expensive, fancy vacations, and all of that, and that's how the trust is won over, right? And that's how essentially he's allowed to have you um, when he wants and how he wants. And then my life got out of control. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> 16 to 17 to 18. I, I think, Donna, let's, let's leave it there. We have a commercial coming up. And, but, let's, but let's set that table because it's true. As, as crazy and frenetic as that all is and really um, deep and powerfully hurtful, it hasn't even really begun yet. This is sort of the the appetizer this to is, the, you know, to what's going to happen. So, um, and again, it all sets up, as I said earlier at the top, one of the great triumphant stories and it, why it positions you today to be such an amazing recovery coach, which we're also going to get to. But we're going to be back in just a minute. My guest is Donna Spear. Check out DonnaSpear.com. It's D-O-N-A-S-P-E-R. EIR.com and check that out while we're here. And Donna, if you can hang for a second, we'll be right back. I will. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Chris Epting will be releasing the third edition of his best selling baseball travel Bible, Roadside Baseball, in June 2019. Academy Award nominated director Ken Burns said about Roadside Baseball, What a wonderful book! All the stations of the cross of our national pastime are here, big and small, telling and frivolous. I can imagine this book in the glove compartment of every true fan's car. A handy reference to this beloved game, no matter where in the country you are. The new edition features hundreds of new places to discover, more rare photos, stories, and trivia. It's everything you need to plan the baseball road trip of your dreams. Roadside Baseball, coming this June. Available for pre-order right now on Amazon.com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. are listening to The Moment with Chris Epting. If you have a question or a comment about our show, please send an email to Chris at chrisepting.com. That's chris at chrisepting.com. Now, back to The Moment. And thank you for being back here with me and my co-author and good friend, Donna Spear. We were just in the middle of talking about and Donna's chronological timeline of her life. There's this horrific episode in which a friend's father grooms her, abuses her. She somehow manages to get out of that situation um, from the uh, frying pan into the fryer because now Bill Cosby has arrived 
to pick up the grooming oh. baton and um, and really Adana. It's when I mean, the more stories you told me about him, people have to understand the timing. When you and I first started working, his case was very much in the news. Women had formed allegiances to obviously go to court. And uh, he hadn't been sent to jail yet. That was a little ways off, but it was really in the news. And it was interesting for me to be following the news with these reports of people being raped and drugged and, you know, just the worst of the worst. But your situation, what you were describing was very different, but even more sinister on a certain level because you were underage and he, you know, it wasn't the drugging and all that. He really kind of kept you as a a confidant, mistress, somebody he trusted and enjoyed, whose company he enjoyed. It was really kind of surreal, the time and energy he put into your relationship, wasn't it? I know, right? Wasn't that creepy? It's amazing. It's incredible. And what still strikes me today, and again, I hate to always use the excuse, well, it was a long time ago and people thought differently, but the number of adults that were in your company when you were with him that never thought to speak up or get involved. It just shows how the power of celebrity is so, um, you know, it's so strong that people, they forget their wits. They can be looking right at something, you know, so completely wrong, but they won't do anything about it for fear of, of burning that bridge or costing themselves their place in the inner circle. Right. It's so true. It is so true. It's kind of like now, you know, I, I go in, now this is a bizarre comparison, but I go into ladies' public restrooms and there's signs now about if you see someone who's being trafficked, a woman or a girl, these are the signs. Hmm. These are the signs. She can't wow. answer for herself. She doesn't have a cell phone. She won't make eye contact, blah, blah, blah. And if you see these things, do something. And those are wow. kind of like those aren't the exact signs that were happening to me, but it's they close enough. Say, they won't say anything. It's kind of like you know Michael Jackson and the doctor. Let's keep giving him drugs, but no one say a word because out of fear. And it's all about money. It really is all about money because who's ever around these big time celebrities? Someone is getting something from him. So yeah. we don't talk. And as long as it's working, they're not going to say a word. And we continue to allow bad behavior. And it wasn't as if he kept people away from you all the time. You had dinners and events and things where there were other people there. I mean, you were on the Coca-Cola corporate jet with him. So oh, it, yeah. was, it wasn't as if you were being kept completely in the shadows either, which I also think shows his confidence and arrogance in terms of being able to get away with whatever you wanted at that time, which he could, obviously. I'm 16 years old and I am going to business dinners with him. I remember <laughs> I remember one time I'd been at the pool all day and you know, I am underage drinking, but I can do whatever I want. And I'm at the Hilton and I and I discovered a new drink called the Blue Hawaiian. Right? And they put all these little foo-foo things in. I know isn't that funny, but I loved it because it was bright blue. And I'd been drinking all day and and I went up and I got changed and rolled down to some business meeting in some fancy restaurant in the uh in wherever we were having dinner and him and I and a couple of businessmen and one of the men made a comment about what I was drinking because I ordered another one <laughs> and they bring it in one of these big silly goblets right and and the man said something about what I was drinking and I remember Bill just looking at him and said what are you going to make of this 
and just like really defended me because it really was a childish drink. In fact, I think I had a dress on that matched it, like some turquoise thing with these dangly earrings. And But that was the arrogance of taking a child out. And I laugh about that now because I can, because I'm healed from the scars. Right, right. But no, there was no hiding me. He was feeding a minor alcohol and and defending his behavior. And you were, I mean, turning into an alcoholic under his watch because it was always there. A lot of time on your hands. You, en- you were enjoying it. I mean, there was a certain, obviously, excitement to being whisked away to all of these exclusive um, places and things. And, and in some cases, your parents were brought along as well. Talk about that a little bit, because oh. I think it's hard for, to fathom as well that how did your parents not pick up on this? But again, when you describe the context of how they were also wined and dined, and I mean, you've got photos of everybody together. They're all in the book, uh, Naked Truth, The Fall and Rise of Donna Spear. Uh, they're all in there along with these stories. But talk about that a little bit, how the family got involved. So in order to be groomed, like I said, you have to have the family involved. You have to gain trust. And so my entire family was involved. He would open up. I mean, there there were so many trips and gifts and things like that. I mean, I don't even know where to start. I mean, just I'll, I'll start with Vegas. And we had half a floor underneath the Hilton sign with all the suites. I mean, my parents had a suite. My sisters had a suite. I had my own suite. Everybody had their own suite. They flew us all in and we had shows and we were accommodated. I mean, I remember when my whole family went to Bill Harris Ranch in in Idaho on the Snake River and we flew in on private plane and we were there for the week and we did, I don't even know what we did because I was pretty high the whole time. And, um, you know, we, I don't even, Chris, I don't even know what to say. I don't know what to say. I mean, my sister couldn't have a baby and billets and flowers. And, you know, we it was were a moment all- where he, well, I think it was your, I don't know if it was your 17th or 18th birthday, <laughs> where, right? Where he did something for you that he thought would be special. My right? 17th birthday. I, it was right afterwards. I remember he flew me in. Oh gosh. I can't remember if it was Reno or Tahoe and we were staying at, Bill Harris home and he flew me in and um, I remember he had my name up on a big billboard happy birthday Donna and the house was filled with presents and he had a party for me at a restaurant and there where my name was again and I mean balloons and I it was always over the top it was always over the top and nobody said anything nobody not a word everybody everybody was in on this um, your family included I mean again they were caught up in the seduction, you know, that he was putting forth with the money and, and promises and all this. And I, I really think that he, you know, and, I think, he, go ahead. And you know what? And I was working. I mean, one of the biggest guys is that he did was he literally set up an entire photo shoot for Coca-Cola, an entire photo shoot with a hand model and their, and their Coca-Cola glass, you know, their bottles that are blown special for their advertising. You know, and a whole photographer and the makeup artist and all the clothing and everything and flew my mom and I into New York. And there I am shooting for Coca-Cola. Of course, it never got published because it was a ruse. I mean, this is what the extent of this went. 
Yeah, it's 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 again. I I know this story, but hearing you recount it again, it, it kind of takes me back when I was first hearing it from you, and it makes you so angry, you know, just to sit and have to listen to this. Um, and I remember when when he was convicted. You know, you and I were on the phone like the moment it happened, and it just it's that felt like such a, a finally, you know, at last kind of moment. But but still, it almost doesn't seem like enough when you talk about what what he did to you. Know to fast forward a little bit through Donna, because um, I don't want to give away our whole yeah, book. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but this goes on for a number of years, and ultimately you can't take it anymore. You begin spiraling and the addiction takes over and it becomes, um, it overwhelms you and you develop an addiction to it's, this is when crack cocaine and freebasing, this is all fairly new stuff. This is Richard Pryor. Richard Pryor. Right. Right. Right around that time. And you don't tell anybody you're smoking cocaine back then. That was like shooting heroin. You don't tell me that is caught up in that. And you, you, find yourself at death's door. I mean, you become a raging addict and you're, you know, you're kind of at the last phase there, but somehow or another, you wind up in the hospital, you manage to, to survive that final moment. And it's, the, I think it's the most dramatic moment in the book, but you make it through, you're in the hospital and he's Cosby's, Bill Cosby's calling you or contacting you <laughs> in the rehab center, right? And you're aware of that. Yeah, yeah. I had spent seven days in a closet smoking cocaine and I'm weighing like 97 pounds. And somehow or rather I end up in treatment in 1982 and and he's contacting me. He's got the writing on the chalkboard, Bill Donna, Bill Cosby called. And finally, you know what? Finally I I he contacts me on the phone and I'm like, I, I don't want to see you anymore. I can't see you. I cannot see you. And and he finally says to me, he goes, you know, Donna, you were a lot more fun when you were drinking. That was his comment to me. And that's how it ended, basically, right? Yeah. I'm like, okay. I am, I'm 18 years old. I'm like, okay, that end. From here, um, you... you know, my life goes on. You know, the it, bottom It goes line, on. I mean, you, you, the bottom line is, you know, I get sober at 80, 1987. I'm 23 years old. Finally. Go ahead, Chris. Well, I'm thinking, <laughs> you get sober, but it takes, it, it takes a couple of times. I mean, you've got a couple of false starts. You're, you're trying. You, you have an agent who still sees something in you physically, and he's like, no, we can, you, you, there's a career to be had here. Um, I think Playboy is celebrating their, was it? Their I forgot. Birthday? I totally forgot about Playboy was in the middle of there. I see. I'm glad you're paying attention because I forgot. <laughs> I did Playboy in there. I forgot. Well, for a lot of people, this this introduced you to the world uh, in, in a big way. It was in, what was it? 1984. God bless you, Chris. I just love you so much. <laughs> you know, that is so funny. I totally forgot I did Playboy in the middle. I was going to talk about my films, but I forgot I did Playboy well, in the Well, this is what got you to the film. So you do that. And, <laughs> and, uh, and that's a big deal, obviously. And it's a big issue issue for you and that really launches this film career you you have this kind of interesting cult film career right we'll talk about that a little bit because this is part of your sobriety I mean, as you're going through it you find this interesting career that, that helps so bizarre. 
So bizarre. So bizarre because you know me. I'm not an actress. I can't act. I can't <laughs> act my way out of a paper bag. I am the world's worst actress. The worst. I'm not kidding. I mean, my big acting career is like this. Put a piece of tape on the ground. I'll hit my mark and blurb out some lines. I, I just, you know, I but don't talk even- about. But no, but talk about the series of movies and who directed them, because you know what? They are appreciated today. They've weathered well and there is an audience for them. So- it's amazing. It's Describe a little bit about who directed them so and what I they were about. This, I did. I got hired for these action adventure films, and they became these huge cult classics. And a director by the name of Andy Sedaris, who who was this ABC Wide World of Sports uh, big Emmy winner, and he just was this this crazy little Greek man, and he had this idea of making these James Bond films that starred women. And you know what? He put me in the lead because he saw me do this thing called the Playmate Playoffs. And I've always been very athletic and in shape. And he saw me and he wanted me to star in this movie. And I'm like, look, I can't act and he goes you know what but you're so athletic and I could ride a motorcycle and I could shoot guns and I could run and I can you know I can I'm a playmate I can run and I can shoot gum (laughs) (laughs) he goes you're 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 hired it's you're perfect on it you know (laughs) and you know what they became this huge cult classic all over the world and I got this huge international fan base it is just the most bizarre thing I never expected it and Donna Spear became agent Donna Hamilton and you know what it's so funny because the first movie I did for him just remember Chris this had this huge comeback and and like I just did this they 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 had a huge comeback and I mean you know just recently Someone sent me a puzzle. People are making puzzles and T-shirts of the very first movie, Hard Ticket to Hawaii, which was just horrible. And they sent me, they made a puzzle of me on the movie poster and they're selling puzzles of this movie poster I did in 1987. So funny. It's ridiculous. Well, it's an important it's thing for you because it, it, it gets you into the land of the living. It, it sets you up for... Uh, you know, other stories in your life. In your book, we talk, we wrote at length about being a single parent, how you raised your son. I mean, really important life moments for you as you came out of the fog, as you came out of the addiction and and really found yourself. But But for you, you know, early on, it was important for you to start uh, giving back, right? And looking to others that have been through what you had been through, or at least to some degree. I don't know if anybody's really been through what you've been through, but at least parts of it and, and wanting to uh, to help them, right? When, when, did, when does that start? Because I know it's it's been a big part of your life for a long time, but do you remember where you started really thinking about, okay, I can help other people through these episodes? So what happened was um, when I was working on the films, I realized I was making enough money to where I would go away and make a film and I could come home and I didn't have to work a steady job, um, you know, doing a modeling gig here or there. And I could work with women. I was young and I had what they call sober time, you know, three, five years sobriety. And that women were attracted to me because I was young and I was sober. And I was happy. And so I started working a 12-step program and I started working with young girls. And I reached out to them and I started working with them. And then 
Um, I noticed that, like, as we talk about in the 12 step, a higher power was starting to put me in places where I could carry this message that I had. And I realized I just had like this gift of humor and being able to carry it around and, and be an example. And that's what started. And, you know, later on, you know, life went on and um, I realized I was in Orange County and there people were always asking me about um, where do we put these girls that don't have insurance to go into treatment? Because, you know, I lived in a very big, expensive place. You know, I was fortunate enough to have a good neighborhood, but there were a lot of treatment facilities, you know, Malibu and Newport beach were like, and, and Florida were the treatment facilities of, of the United States, but there weren't any places for women to go who didn't have insurance, but there was a great place in Costa Mesa for men. And, you know, so I'm, I've got some of these girls, some of them coming in and sleeping on my couch, you know, the ones that were safe, but you know, there wasn't anywhere. And it was like, someone has to do something. Who's going to do something. Someone has to do something. And that was you. It's funny, I, I, we're going to take a break, another break here in a minute, but um, one thing you remember you telling me, Donna, that really stood out when you became sober and you were working on the films, you were almost ostracized or at least left out because all of a sudden you were not like everybody else, right? And you were almost shunned by the production crew because everybody else was drinking, right? So you had to like go through this by yourself in a lot of ways while you were working and while you were making a name for yourself. Absolutely. Even with the playmates, it was like that. Once I got sober, it was not the thing to do in in the 80s was to get sober and go into recovery. It was not, it's not like it is now where, you know, you're in recovery. It just isn't. And so back then, it was not trendy. And I was definitely on my own. Donna, we're going to take another quick commercial break. Um, I'm glad you're staying with us to listen to this. Donna is always fascinating. The book we wrote is called Naked Truth, The Fall and Rise of Donna Spear. We're going to come back in a minute and talk about what she's doing today and some other new works of hers that she has written without me. So stay tuned. I'm percepting. That's Donna Spear, and we'll be right back. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Chris Epting will be releasing the third edition of his best-selling baseball travel Bible, Roadside Baseball, in June 2019. Academy Award-nominated director Ken Burns said about Roadside Baseball, What a wonderful book. All the stations of the cross of our national pastime are here, big and small, telling and frivolous. I can imagine this book in the glove compartment of every true fan's car. A handy reference to this beloved game, no matter where in the country you are. The new edition features hundreds of new places to discover, more rare photos, stories, and trivia. It's everything you need to plan the baseball road trip of your dreams. Roadside Baseball, coming this June. Available for pre-order right now on Amazon.com. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, 
business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thoughts, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. You are listening to The Moment with Chris Epting. If you have a question or comment about our show, please send an email to Chris at chrisepting.com. That's chris at chrisepting.com. Now, back to The Moment. And thank you for joining me and my super special guest today, Donna Spear. Donna, we're talking about, we first spoke about, the first couple of segments, our book that we wrote about your life, your book, um, called Naked Truth, The Fall and Rise of Donna Spear. But you've since, I mean, when we first started, you um, would tell me how much you could not write. And I would give you assignments and you'd write them. And you were actually, I thought, a really good writer. And I think everyone who's read the book feels that as well. You've gone on now. I mean, as of today, on this day that we're talking, um, your site, DonnaSpear.com, is being relaunched with all kinds of cool new bells and whistles about your recovery coaching uh, life and how you're helping a lot of people. But you've also written some things without me. <laughs> Shocking. Um, <laughs> I that, know, that, right? <laughs> talk a little bit. I, I'm, I'm super impressed. Talk a little bit about what people will find on the site today, people that might need that extra bit of help or some introductory help or you know things to help them get over uh, – addictions or, or other things that you, you know, as a recovery coach help with. Yeah. You really helped guide me in my writing, Chris. You gave me, I got to tell you, first of all, you gave me the power on the inside to let me know that I could do this. You really did. I mean, you are, you are a great writer who really inspired me. And because of that, and because of you, Chris, I'm able to do what I'm doing today on that level. So thank you. You are just the bestest of the best. <laughs> you're, you're too general. I, I, I really appreciate that. But listen, you, you, you taught yourself how to write. I mean, just make no bones about it. I mean, you, you took the, uh, the assignments and you ran with them. And I was the one who would say, I think this one is okay. And you would say, no, 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 no. It's got to be rewritten or it's got to be revised. Or You were, I mean, really, really intense about um, the rewrite process and everything and wanting to get it where you needed it to be. And those instincts, I think, are what are what make helping you write even more today. So thank you. But it's, it was totally a team effort. And uh, talk about what you've written. What will people find on so, the site today? So, you know what? I launched my website today, D-O-N-A. S-P-E-I-R.com. So what you'll find there, uh, because I'm a recovery coach now, I I coach people either new in sobriety or timeless sobriety, people who are stuck in life. You know, everybody's recovering from something. I mean, that's a reality. We're all recovering from something. Some of the people I coach right now are recovering from divorce or they're recovering from loneliness. They're recovering from something. A lot of people I coach right now are recovering in sobriety. Um, but what what I do and what you're going to find on my website is I've written three ebooks. Three ebooks. I mean, can you believe it? Me. I wrote three ebooks. And one that's of them wonderful. is 101 Ways. Um, to sobriety, I wrote an ebook on forgiveness. 
You know, forgiveness is a really big part of my life, um, obviously, obviously, because in order, in order for me to be happy, in order for me to, um, to be, to be content in my life, in order, in order for me to get on and not be stuck, I had to learn to forgive. And there's a couple of steps I realized I had to take. So I wrote a, a little ebook on forgiveness and it's not very expensive and it's a quick download. And then I also did a, a, a thing that it's called rock, uh, uh, how to rock your recovery. And those are some of the things that I've learned, you know, I'm 30, I'll be 34 years sober, like, in less than a month. And these are some of the things that I have learned. You know, I'm a certified recovery coach too. I'm also a nationally certified interventionist. And, you know, all through these years of my, of my uh, sobriety, I have done so many things. And in, in uh, how to rock your recovery, I have put some of the biggest tools that I have and I've put them in there and I've written about them. And so I wanted to share that with people, you know, how to really rock your recovery. So that's another ebook I put in there. And then when you get on my website, I've got a couple of things you can download for free. Um, how to from victim to victor, because I was the biggest victim in the world. And it's mm -hmm. just a crappy place to be, you know, and I want to share how to get out of that. You know, we don't have to be victims in our lives anymore. We don't. And it's a choice. No, you, one of the first things you stressed when we first started working on your story was the fact that you didn't want to come across as a victim. And I said, well, wait a minute, you've been heavily victimized by some really bad people. I think they need to be held accountable. And you were never comfortable um, with the term victim because of what you did with it. You didn't want that to define you. But I have a question. When you write about forgiveness in the way that you're talking about, how mm -hmm. do you begin to approach people like Bill Cosby, like the the father of your girlfriend is—is is it possible to forgive those people? I mean, I mean, from my standpoint, and I think from probably others listening, it's probably not possible. But, but are you to talk a little bit about how you approach forgiveness with the worst of the worst like that in your life? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I hold no hard feelings to either one of them. Wow. You know, I'm not going to give you the steps on how to do that because I'd like you to download okay. my ebook. But absolutely, I don't lose sleep. I'm not angry with either one of them at all, Chris, at all. I'm not, I have, you know, it's funny. There's um, There's some groups online that are, that are out marching against Cosby. Let's keep them accountable. Let's keep them in jail. Let's 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 nail him to a cross. Let's pull his toenails off. Let's sue him for money. Blah blah blah. You know what? And and I'm just not that girl. I am not that person. Um. I I. Bill Cosby is a very spiritually sick man. And let's just put it this way. If, if, if I continuously have to go to him to try to make how I feel right, all I'm going to be is a victim. Mm -hmm. There isn't anything he can do to make this situation right. I hold the answers to make this situation right. And so when I, when I try to look outside of myself for someone else to make this, this situation right, 
all I become is powerless. I think that's a very evolved way of looking at this. And for those of us that maybe react emotionally, purely emotionally to what happened to you with these people, mm-hmm. um, I'm anxious to read how you lay that out in your ebook. Mm. Donna, what, for people that want to contact you, who, who do you think your audience is? Anyone listening today that is it them themselves as if they know somebody, is it a child? Who, who do you feel you are best in tune with to help uh, get through things they're going through, um, through any variety of addictions or, uh, or problems they're having? You know, because of, because of Zoom now, I work with men. I didn't work with men for a long, long time, but I can work. I work. I actually coach men now. Mm-hmm. I would not coach a man in person, but I will coach men through Zoom. I, I, women, um, my demographics between, well, actually I'm working with a couple of teenage girls right now, but my demographic, I would say is women 25 to 65, mm-hmm. you know, men, um, I, I do a lot of professionals, but then again, you know what I do? Some that are just housewives because I'm a mom. I know what it's like to raise kids. I raised, I was a single mom, man. And that's the hardest job in the world, mm-hmm. man. Those kids never go away. They just don't go away, Chris. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I remember, I remember when my son was like four or five years old, I was walking through the house and he was following me. I turned around and I thought, my God, he's never leaving, is he? <laughs> you know, it was like, I'll be damned, you know, but I'm just really realistic and I'm a straight shooter and I'm honest, you know. Speaking so. of your son, Donna, he was sort of instrumental in you moving forward with your first book that we wrote together, wasn't he? Uh, what do you mean moving? Oh, yeah. I dedicated my book to my son. Because- right. But I remember you telling me that he you, you had all sorts of trepidations of putting stuff out there and he almost gave you a pep talk about it, didn't he? I Yeah, because he didn't know really about Cosby and he didn't know. And he just said, mom, you know what? You owe it to tell your truth. You owe it to tell your story. You really do. And he, he's seen over the years, the women I've helped. And also, so we, what we didn't talk about was when I opened the first nonprofit, Mm -hmm. uh, no charge facility in orange County for women. And that over 2,000 women have walked through their, this doors, those doors to this day. And my little boy was actually there helping me paint the house. Mm. So he has seen all of this evolve in front of him. I mean, I'm really grateful. My son never saw me drink. He has only had a sober mom. And um, that's a miracle. Because when I drink, I'm not a pretty girl. You know, I do, I, when I drink and use, I don't come home. Well, there were some stories in the book uh, in Naked Truth that we did that that are really, um, even by today's standards or definitions, I mean, really off the chart. I mean, you were, you know, burning all kinds of candles at all kinds of ends. And and I used to say to you all the time, and I still would, I mean, the fact that you're, you're even here today is, is a miracle in itself, just given how many times you took it to the brink. We didn't even get into the drug running. And the, I, mean, you know, <laughs> yeah, I forgot about, I forgot about that part. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, but it's in your story and you know, these, just the, the situations you found yourself in before even the age of 21 um, were just, uh, you know, incredible and, and, and could have ended at any point, you know? So I think that's, that's really the, the big deal for me is that not that you just survived, but that you're able to now channel it in a way that's so positive and so productive and so helpful, you know, for other people that, um, you know, are going through similar things. And when, when you talk to people, I know you can't really talk about uh, 
specific things you go through, but do you share many parts of your life when you're counseling with somebody or does that not matter? Do you need to tell them things to let them know you've been there? Um, you know, on my website, uh, it pretty much lays out some of the things I've been through. Um, sometimes I will if it helps them, but mostly I listen and we get right to solution. So as a recovery, the difference between a recovery coach and therapist, recovery coach, I deal with the now and we get right into solution. Um, if it helps, I will. Sometimes they'll read my book and that will help them be able to open up and share their past with me. So I, you know, I don't hold any, you know, you can Google me and read about my past. I don't, you know, I don't hold any shame or guilt about my past. I am who I am. And I needed every one of those experiences, all my drug running, all my sitting in a closet, all the men, all the money, all the mansions, all the absolute insanity I went through to be the whole loving kind-hearted, giving, sharing person I am today. The mom I am today, the woman I am today, the wife I am today. It took all of that to be the person I am. Mm. Well, I mean, right there, I think is a, a huge life lesson in terms of not um, you know, look, looking to the good that can come out of the bad, I guess, to, to simplify it. And you, you absolutely do that. You're always looking forward. You're always pushing ahead and not allowing um, bad things from the past to, to hold you back on any level. Like you said, in fact, you use those as stepping stones to climb over the garbage and get to all the good stuff. Um, you know, there's, you there's an old saying, when you take the garbage out, leave it on the curb. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you've done that. And, you know, it's funny. I remember when you and I first started working together, we took a drive around your neighborhood where a lot of these things happened. And uh, that to me was very compelling because it's one thing to kind of hear the stories, but when you drive past a certain house, that guy's house or your, your family house. And, mm-hmm. and uh, that was very memorable for me because all of a sudden now these, these stories had a place. And I, you know me, I'm very sort of geographically driven with things like that. When you see a place, yeah. it really helps you write about it because it's there. It's real. It's three-dimensional. And you can imagine, you can give a place to kind of plug characters and stories into but um, that was, you know, really something. And, I, and I'll drive by them today. I remember where they are in the area because I live in Orange County. You've, uh, you're in Arizona today. I but, know. Um, you know, it's funny how those, how those things linger in the air, you know. But Donna, our time is, uh, is about done here. I want to thank you, as always, for uh, being so open and giving with your story. Stories. There's so many of them, and I want to encourage people to go to DonnaSpear.com. D-O-N-A-S-P-E-I-R. How do they get Naked Truth now? You told me there's a new way to, to acquire the book. You can go right on my website and download it. You can Perfect. buy it and download it right there with the front, all the pictures, all the crazy stories, and, and they're all in there. And- Amazing. And a wonderful picture of you and I together. Oh. <laughs> well, thank you for that. And Donna, we're going to wrap up. Um, we'll do this again soon. And you'll have more to talk about, I know, as you forge ahead. And uh, I want to thank everyone for listening to the moment today. I'm Chris Epting. This has been Donna Spear. Donna, thanks again. I really appreciated this. Thank you for having me, Chris. It was my pleasure. Thank you for taking a moment out of your busy week to join us for The Moment. 
Be sure to join Chris Epting for another edition every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week. 